Well, there's a story I th- I'm pretty sure I told before, but I, I just regularly think about it, especially when I get overly distracted and stretched uh, thin. Um, took place in the summer of 1996, just a few short years ago, and I was part of a short-term team to the south of Peru. About 20 big, white, strange-looking gringos arrived to this little bitty village in the middle of nowhere, inhabited mainly by browner, shorter, Quechuan background people. And our Peruvian leader was directing our trip, who had spent a lot of time in the States and actually in Washington, D.C., he, he tried to present our team to this group of kids that had surrounded us and were just kind of standing there gawking at us. He tried to introduce us to them. And this is about the first thing he said about us to describe us to them. He said these words, these people are very busy and they don't have time to sit underneath a tree. And I sat there and looked at our team leader. I said, that's the first thing out of your mouth to describe us to them? That's how you view us, our chief characteristic as a people? And then I sat there and said, well, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, How often do we, when somebody asks us how we're doing, how often does it just come out of our mouth, man, I've been so busy. And even as we kind of complain about it and wistfully long for rest and and relaxation and refreshment, at the same time, we have to admit, or at least I have to admit, that I kind of want you to know that I'm busy because I know that's kind of a value in our culture. And if I'm not busy, maybe I'm not very important and people don't need me and it don't really matter that much. There's a writer uh, that writes these words that says, busyness functions like an addiction. We keep needing it and we keep kind of needing more of it and busyness breeds busyness. And if we don't have it, we kind of feel like we're missing something. And yet at the same token, More busyness doesn't quite seem to satisfy us, and we keep adding more and more on. It's almost like a challenge for us. He goes on to say, and when you stop, and when you stop, you have to face your thoughts, which terrifies most of us. Isn't that kind of true, too, that sometimes we don't want to be alone with our thoughts, And so we're kind of conflicted about the whole idea of rest. Sometimes it feels easier to us just to load up the activity than actually to think, to sit and think through our thoughts. Into this situation, which we know we're harried and frenzied, into this situation, God gives us good news. He gives us good news in this commandment. God gives us rest. And this commandment says God wants us to experience rest. And that's what the fourth commandment is about. Notice God places a ton of emphasis on it. Uh, First, the Sabbath commandment is the longest commandment, the most 
full and detailed commandment of the 10. And we would look at the 10 commandments and it seems kind of out of balance for us. And probably I wouldn't pick that commandment to put so much emphasis on, but God does. Furthermore, throughout the Old Testament, God speaks about Sabbath observance more than any of the other 10 commandments. And we wouldn't wait it that way, would we? And yet God does. The point is God wants you to enter into his rest. Let's relate the fourth commandment to the first three. Remember the first four deal with love for God and the second six deal with love for neighbor. But they're intertwined, of course. The first tells us whom we're to worship. The true God, not our idols. The second commandment teaches us how we're to worship as God prescribes, not according to our preferences necessarily. The third commandment teaches us who we are to be who worship, meaning we're to be sincere and genuine and reverent and wholehearted. And then the fourth commandment teaches us when we're to worship, especially on that day that God has set aside that we would gather and we would worship him. Exodus 20, verse eight. Let's hear God's word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the grass withers and the flowers fade. And this good word, uh, it endures forever. So I have three questions. What does God command us? Uh, How are we to keep it? And then why should we want to keep it? So verse eight tells us what does God command us? So it's a short and sweet statement. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We're to remember the Sabbath day. And so why does he say remember? Well, God says it for several reasons. I'll give three of them. First, we remember it. He says remember because it was already known. Uh, It's the only commandment that God has already expressly given to his people en route to Sinai. He did so, if you remember, in Exodus chapter 16. God instructed Israel, gather a double portion of the manna on the sixth day so you don't have to gather manna on the seventh day. Why? So you can observe a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. I want you to rest. Uh, But even more behind this is the Sabbath principle. And the Sabbath principle goes all the way back to creation itself. You recall in Genesis 2, 2 and 3, 
after six days of creation, God rests on the seventh day. God's rest establishes mankind's pattern. It's the cycle of working six days and resting one day. Kevin DeYoung says it this way. I like it. He goes, days follow the earth's rotation on its axis. Months follow the lunar cycle. Years follow the earth's revolution around the sun. I mean, there's scientific reasons. But why does the world follow a weekly rhythm? I mean, it's kind of arbitrary. Why do we select that? There have been other options proposed that don't seem to work. We've settled into a weekly rhythm. Why is that? The best answer is God wove into humanity's well-being his example of work and rest. It's God's pattern. We remember it. Second, because we're prone to forget the Sabbath day. That's why we remember it. We're so easy, we so easily let it slip by with, without making good use of it. It just kind of slips through our fingers or it's on us without us expecting it or we crowd it out with a host of activities. A friend of mine recently gave me a book about burnout. He had gone through a really tough, tough time, several years, and this book had helped him. And there's a chapter in the book that says, we need Sabbath rests. And one quote in particular, this, this elderly doctor, he writes in the London Times, he says this, we doctors in the treatment of nervous diseases are compelled to provide periods of rest. And some of these periods are, I think, only Sundays in arrears. That's if you don't remember your weekly Sundays quite likely it's going to catch up with you and you'll be forced to take a group of Sundays together. Third, because remember entails more than just bare memory. It means to be fully engaged. Philip Ryken says it this way, it's like remembering your wedding anniversary. It's not enough just to be aware of it, right? It's about appreciating how much you mean to each other. It, it involves flowers and dinner and a romantic evening. It's about recollecting uh, the beauty of that day, reviewing your life together, renewing your covenant with each other. Um, we're to have this kind of expectancy and preparation and intentionality and appreciation for the Sabbath day. And this becomes even more clear as the verse continues because we remember the Sabbath day for the purpose of keeping it holy. That's what to keep it holy means. It's, it's for the purpose of keeping it holy. It means that we set apart the day from all the others. It's unique. We approach it, treat it as a special day. It's not, as DeYoung says, I like this, not the day we just collapse. It's actually the climax of our week. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's not just another Saturday. We're blessed in our country to have two days, which we typically have for rest, but it's not just a second Saturday. Um, it's a consecrated, dedicated day. We remember it to keep it holy. Well, along with this, God viewed the Sabbath as such a special day that he made it a sign of the covenant. 
It's a sign of the covenant. So just like the rainbow in the sky spoke of God's covenant with Noah, even so, the Sabbath day spoke of God's covenant through Moses. So in addition to being a permanent command, it was also a sign command. Uh, This explains why God takes it so seriously. In Exodus 31, God says this, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Reason, it's a sign of the covenant. You see, as Israel observed it, they would know that they belonged to God. As Israel observed it, they knew they were separated unto God. As Israel observed it, the nations looked at them and said, they're a distinct, unique, peculiar people. They march to a different drummer. They really do belong to this Lord they talk about. And so this sign showed them every week, God saying, I'm Lord of your time. I'm sovereign over your moments and your use of it. I've given you a rhythm of work and rest, and this is the sign that you belong to me. So again, this aspect of the Sabbath underscores the fact that it's not just a permanent moral command written by the finger of God on stone tablets, which is a symbol that those tablets are permanent and not going anywhere, but it's also a preparatory command. It's an aid because this command points forward to how God's going to fulfill the covenant. And so it points forward to what the signs all point to, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, how are we to keep it? How are we to keep it? Verse nine and 10 speaks about this. How are we to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Uh, Notice, it's the only commandment that actually gets a positive and negative treatment. Again, it stresses it. God says we keep the Sabbath day holy uh, in a positive way by getting all our ordinary work done in the space of six days. Uh, It's an affirmation of the goodness of work the Sabbath is. It's saying work itself isn't a consequence of the fall. Uh, Adam and Eve worked in the garden. Even more, God is a working God. He was utterly distinct from the gods of the nations who viewed their gods in this sort of reverie and meditation. Our God got his hands dirty and worked. He exalted common labor. Moses tells us that on the very first Sabbath, God's Sabbath, that God finished all his work of creating, so he rested on the seventh day. So the fourth commandment instructs us to put in an honest week's work. And as we do this, we actually imitate God and glorify God and reflect God. It also shows us that God cares about us in our work. He knows we have hopes and dreams and plans and budgets He knows all that. He cares about all that. As sovereign over our time, he could say, give me three days. But he doesn't. He says, give me one. I'm for you as a family. I know you have hopes and dreams and goals. 
Let me ask, is, is, is then is, is there an absolute prohibition of all work on the Sabbath? Is that what God says? Is it an absolute prohibition? And I want to say no. And the Old Testament didn't teach this. Uh, but we're going to look at Jesus real quick. Matthew 12 with Mark's parallel. First, we just need to say Jesus never broke the Sabbath but he did stretch us. But what he does is draws out the Old Testament implications for us. So Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath day. And you remember this story. His disciples get hungry. They're walking through all this wheat. It's just right there. And so they begin plucking the heads of wheat, rubbing them in their hands and popping them in their mouth. Um, but the Pharisees are there and they're always spying on Jesus to catch him in some misdeed. So they look at Jesus and, and they just go at him. They're breaking the Sabbath and you're letting them. And Jesus turns to them and says, don't you remember when King David was fleeing for his life? How he went to the tabernacle and ate the holy bread which only priests should eat? And don't you remember that the law says priests profane the Sabbath by working in the temple on that day? And so right here, Jesus confronts them with two types of works the Old Testament permitted and endorsed. First, the works of necessity, taking care of an emergency, like feeding a person who's famished. And second, works of piety, leading in a worship service and preparing for it. They're legitimated in the Old Testament Sabbath. But Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 12, in Mark's parallel, that Jesus ends up healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, as he did on a number of different occasions, pushing the point for us. The Pharisees get angry again, and Jesus just looks at him and says, which of you if he has a sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? What a question. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And here again, Jesus states a third type of work, which the Old Testament didn't just permit, but actually promoted on the Sabbath day, and that is works of mercy doing physical and spiritual good to people of all days, God's day of rest should be that day. And so Jesus sums up the intent of the Sabbath day. He says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning it's not to be a burden but a blessing. It's a day to have mercy on people. It's a real good day to do good to people. But on the Sabbath day, we're not to do any of our ordinary work. And the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew verb Shabbat, meaning to cease, to desist, to put a stop to, to rest. We put a hard stop, a boundary line around our ordinary work so we can rest. God looks at us essentially and says, I know how you are. I know your minds will keep spinning. I know your hands will keep working. I know your feet will keep racing, wearing yourself out, doing good stuff. Unless I command you, point blank, stop and rest. 
and you need to stop and rest. And everyone is to rest. Children and servants and animals and visiting foreigners, you all rest. The family was free to spend time together, to talk together, to eat together, to relax together, to enjoy each other's company. Exodus 22 calls the Sabbath day a day of refreshment. Exodus 31 says God himself was refreshed on that day. The Sabbath additionally in the Old Testament was viewed as a feast day, a celebration day, a high point of the week, a day of joy and gladness. And we'll see that more in a moment, but essentially the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now think about Think about what it requires, especially for an agricultural people, to give yourself permission to rest on a whole day. What does it require of you? You have to trust in God. It requires faith in God. It requires a disposition of faith where you say, I don't have the reins of my life. I'm really not calling the shots. I don't carry the weight of the world on my shoulders. I don't hold the world in my hands. You hold the world in your hands. You carry the weight of the world and you hold the reins of my life. It's an exercise of faith. I believe my faithful creator God will provide for my needs. I believe my world is capably in his hands and I can rest. And this leads into a deeper aspect of the Sabbath. The Sabbath ceasing from ordinary activity permits engaging in a distinct activity. When God rested, he wasn't idle and unemployed. God continued to have to sustain the whole universe. God's rest from his finished work enabled him to delight in what he had created and enjoy what he had created. And in a similar way, you and I rest from our ordinary work to delight in the God of creation and in God's creation. And that's really the heart of keeping the day holy. That's why the command calls us six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. To the Lord means we're focused on the Lord such that God over and over in the Old Testament calls it my Sabbath. He wants us to cease from ordinary work in order to enter more fully in the distinct work of worshiping him. It's an engaged activity. So it says that real rest, the rest that you really need, it doesn't just entail leisure and entertainment. It's how we equate rest God's saying the real rest, the rest we need entails fellowshipping with him, thinking about him, hearing of him, thanking him, praising him, enjoying our relationship with him in a deeper, more sustained way. And though we don't think we need that, that's what we're most designed for and we won't fully be at rest until we're rejoicing in that. What he says is your joy is bound up with finding your joy in me. Your refreshment is intertwined with your relationship with me and you need this day because your weeks are so busy. Well, why should we want to keep it? Why? That's verse 11. 
And so verse 11 says, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Again, by approved example, God set the pattern of creation. So a few results from that. We are made in the image of a working and resting God. Two, we, we do so because we trust in our creator God to provide. Uh, furthermore, we do so because we rejoice in God's creation as he did, and even more, we rejoice in the God of creation. We trace the blessings up the rays to the son of glory. And fourth and finally, we do so because we know God blessed that day. He made it holy. And what it means is he set it apart as a gift for you, as a means of grace for you to help you flourish as an image bearer of God. We forfeit the day, we forfeit the grace God desires to communicate to us in the day. But there's even more. The other version of the Ten Commandments adds still another reason, and that's another unique aspect of the Fourth Commandment. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, we remember the Sabbath. Why in that commandment? Because you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So Israel is also to keep the Sabbath to rejoice in their Redeemer God, not just their Creator God. It was a weekly feast to celebrate redemption and redeeming grace from brutal bondage to Pharaoh into the rest of Canaan. Um, every week they celebrated grace. Imagine how liberating the Sabbath was to former slaves. Their only worth to anyone at that token, at that time in Egypt was the grinding labor 24 7, 52 weeks a year. But God's saying, You're free. Like you're a free. You're dignified, noble image bearers of God. And furthermore, I'm giving you a whole day just to rejoice and revel in that grace and deepen your love for me. And how much more? for you and me today than even them then. And that's when it really gets rich. Because the Sabbath for us is no longer a sign of the covenant. Why is it no longer a sign of the covenant? Because the preparatory nature of that is fulfilled uh, that's why Paul would look at us and say, don't observe the Sabbath in his letter. And that's why he'd say elsewhere, the shadow, it's the shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. Matthew 12, what we referenced a moment ago, Jesus goes on to talk about what they were doing and his main instruction is, look, if there were exceptions in the old covenant, to feed David when he's hungry on the Sunday or to let temple servants lead worship because their mission was so important? You hadn't seen anything yet. My mission far outstrips their mission. If you made exceptions for them, even more for me because I am a Lord of the Sabbath 
and I'm fulfilling everything the Sabbath spoke of. And so Jesus comes to us in Matthew 11 and says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says to us, I'm the Sabbath. I'm your Sabbath rest. At Jesus' cross and at Jesus' resurrection, he brings recreation. Like he, and he secures redemption. He, he recreates you and me as a new people. The old is gone, the new has come. And we belong to God's true rest, the Canaan of all Canaans, glory itself, the new heavens and the new earth. At the cross and resurrection, he redeemed you from slavery, more cruel and brutal than Pharaoh could even imagine inflicting upon Israel, and that is the slavery of sin, but its penalty and his power. He freed you from that. He washed you by his blood. He gave you all his righteous record. By faith, you enter into him, and you enter into God's rest in him. You don't live your life trying to get okay. You rest in Christ knowing you are okay in him. You can lay your anxious toil to the side because you know he has satisfied the law on your behalf. It's God's rest is Christ. And so in the New Testament, God takes away the Sabbath day. He takes away the seventh day as a sign of the covenant with all its judicial penalties and all its ceremonial practices, but by approved example again, he gives it back to us as a day of rest and worship. And by doing that, he shows the permanent aspect of the command as part of the stone moral law of God and the pattern woven to creation. It all stands, but a new day is given. And our day is now the first day because on that day, a greater creation took place than the original creation and a greater redemption took place than the redemption at the Exodus. It's the redemption won for us and the creation won for us at the cross and resurrection of Christ. It's resurrection day that we celebrate as our weekly feast and celebration and we honor Christ in it, calling it the Lord's Day because my rest is in him and my hope is in him. And so we celebrate a weekly feast as a people. And so we regard that day as a gift. We regard this day as a means of grace. We regard this day in remembrance and anticipation and expectancy we esteem this day in preparation. We reduce our distractions that we have during the week on this day. We deal with our thoughts on this day. We cast our worries upon the God of creation and recreation. We cast our guilt upon the God of redemption at the cross of Christ. We praise God today as a people and we fellowship with God's people and rejoice in it. 
we do so on the first day because at the original creation, God worked, worked, and then rested. But the cross of Christ says Jesus finished the work. And so we rest the first day of the week to stand on Christ's merits and enter into Monday confident and secure. And so on the Lord's day, we rest, we worship, we rejoice, we renew, we reset. We're intentional about what we do. We protect it. We recognize that his rest is a full rest. We need God and we need to know God. We might even sit under a shade tree and do something different. And we recognize that God wants our rest and it increases our glory and thanks for him. And he secured that for us in the cross and resurrection of Christ. And it calls us to celebrate the gospel even more. May God add his blessing. Amen. Let's stand.